Welcome to On The Move, the global mobility podcast brought to you by Vialto Partners. Vialto is your ally in mobility, tax and immigration solutions. We spark meaningful growth for your business and your people. At Vialto, we push the boundaries of global mobility, powering positive outcomes in business and beyond. Our teams partner closely with you, providing extensive expertise and seamless tech-enabled experiences so you can mobilize a dynamic global workforce and unlock potential. Hi everyone and welcome to On The Move and Series 2 of the Vialto Partners Employment Tax Podcast. In this series we are discussing the topic of contingent workers. I'm Maria Ravisi and I'm an employment tax partner with Vialto Partners and I'm based in Adelaide in Australia. I'm joined by my colleague Christy Whitnell who's an employment tax director in our Melbourne office. Today we're going to discuss the employment tax considerations of engaging contingent workers in Australia. Christy, to kick us off, have you seen an increase in contingent workers? And if so, what is driving this trend? Yeah, thanks, Maria. There is definitely a growing trend for conventional employees to be replaced by contingent workers, which are commonly referred to as contractors in Australia, in order to better meet the needs of business. This includes the engagement of contractors in all sorts of industries, including construction, hospitality, security, maintenance, academic, IT, and the gig economy. At a basic level, more organisations are engaging contractors because they can be hired at a lower cost than full-time employees. For example, a full-time employee is normally paid a basic salary and benefits, including leave entitlements, retirement and superannuation benefits and more. These benefits can amount to 50% or more additional expenses beyond base salary. And additionally, many contractors work remotely, which saves companies on overhead costs like office space and utilities. Companies generally have more flexibility when they hire contractors. A contractor-heavy workforce allows companies to rapidly scale up and down as business needs and goals shift throughout the year, or in times when redundancies may be needed, but then a short-term demand may mean that there is then work to be done. Many industries are constantly changing or evolving, and therefore many of these industries are likely to continue relying heavily on contractors. From an individual worker perspective, contracting comes with pros and cons. On the one hand, it provides increased flexibility in that they have the freedom to choose their clients and customers, an ability to work from wherever and to set their own hours. Conversely, contracting provides less job security, less rights, fewer or no benefits, potentially limited career development opportunities, and fewer colleagues, meaning less camaraderie and more isolation. Okay, thanks, Christy. So what are the employment tax risks and or considerations relating to contractors? While contractors are generally seen to be a lower cost option to engage and have less rights than employees, there are significant costs for employers if they incorrectly categorise employees as independent contractors. Whether or not they are actually a contractor or deemed an employee and what obligations apply depend on a range of factors. Therefore, there has been an increased focus from the courts and revenue authorities, highlighting that businesses often don't understand or don't seek adequate advice on this issue which may create unintended tax exposures when engaging contractors. Christy, can you expand on what you mean by unintended tax consequences and why this is important? Well, there are differences in relation to what employer obligations apply depending on the classification of the worker. Where a worker is an employee, the employer is responsible for PAYG withholding, 
STP reporting, superannuation, and state-based obligations such as payroll tax and work cover. For contractors, some of these obligations may equally apply, for example, superannuation. However, there can be exemptions for some of the obligations in certain circumstances. So given these factors, we probably should touch upon the background of how contractors versus employee relationships were evaluated in the past, what we learnt from the recent High Court decisions, and also the new draft taxation rulings and what all this means for employers. Yes, well, whether an arrangement between an individual and an organisation is regarded as a contractor or an employer relationship is determined in accordance with common law principles. So it's important to understand that the essential difference between an employee and a contractor is that a contractor is running their own business and is generally contracted to achieve a result, whereas an employee provides their labour to work in and as part of an organisation's business, helping the business to achieve a result. So historically, when determining whether a relationship is an employment relationship or a genuine independent contractor relationship, a totality of the relationship was considered as the primary approach. Therefore, a holistic analysis of contractual arrangements extending not only to the written form of the agreement, but also subsequent conduct of the parties would need to be undertaken. This was essentially a substance over form analysis and was known as the multifactorial test. This would look at a range of factors around control, independence, commercial risks, the basis of payment, ability to delegate, and equipment and tools. In February 2021, there were two key High Court decisions referred to as the JAMSEC and personal contracting cases. In both cases, the question of whether an individual was an employee or independent contractor was considered, and this is the first time in 20 years that Australia's highest court had to consider this question in depth. The approach adopted by the course was different from the multifactorial test that has traditionally been employed. And as a result, in December 2022, the ATO issued a draft ruling TR 2022-D3 and accompanying guidelines PCG 2022-D5 in relation to classifying workers as employees or independent contractors. TR 2022-D3 reaffirms three general principles that employers have learned in relation to worker classification since the High Court cases. Firstly, in order to determine whether a person is an employee or independent contractor, it is necessary to look to the legal rights and obligations agreed under that relevant contract. Secondly, where a comprehensive written contract has been executed, there is no need to look into subsequent conduct, such as the previous multifactorial approach that examined all of the relations between the parties over the entire history of their dealings. Examination of subsequent conduct may be necessary in certain circumstances, such as where the contract is not in writing, partly written and partly oral, or where the terms of the written contract are being challenged as invalid, such as the sham, or have been varied. Thirdly, it's also important to note that contractual clauses that seek to definitively label an arrangement as that of a contractor or employee will not change the character of the relationship, especially where it would be inconsistent with the rights and duties established by that contract. So whilst the importance of contractual terms cannot be understated, one should not confuse this with it being categorically defined by the label that the parties give it. PCG 2022-D5 provides useful guidance to employers on the ATO's compliance approach for businesses that engage workers. It provides a framework that employers can use to mitigate their risk of a wrong worker classification, and the risk scale is from high to very low. For a contract arrangement to be very low risk, an employer must have proof that 
there is evidence that both parties agreed to the worker classification, that the employer has confirmed their classification by an internal or an external qualified party, that the subsequent performance of the contract has not significantly changed, that the employer is meeting its reporting obligations that arise for that classification, including reporting under the taxable payments annual report, and there is evidence that both parties understood the tax and superannuation consequences of that classification. For every one of these factors taken away, the risk increases. Noting that if the employer does not have proof that there is evidence that both parties agree to the classification, and this has not been confirmed by a suitable qualified party, it will be viewed as high risk. These High Court decisions and draft ruling guidelines are likely to have a significant impact on the way in which contracting relationships and the obligations of each party are evaluated. The consultation period on the draft ruling and guidelines has recently ended, so we expect to soon see finalised rulings and guidance. Thanks so much, Christy, for that in-depth overview. There's certainly um, a lot to think about there. So earlier in the conversation, you noted that for contractors, some employment tax obligations may equally apply, and also that there are some exemptions that may apply in certain circumstances. Can you expand on this? Sure. Well, let me first start with superannuation. Australian superannuation guarantee is an obligation that gets a lot of focus and will continue to do so based on announcements from the ATO. Within superannuation, the word employee has two definitions, one within the ordinary meaning and one within the extended definition of employee. The superannuation legislation extends the definition to include a person who works under a contract that is wholly or principally for the labour of the person within the definition of an employee for superannuation purposes. What this effectively means is that a contractor working for an employer may not be an employee through a common law lens. However, from a superannuation legislative perspective, the relationship could be construed as an employer-employee relationship. In addition to superannuation, there are also other state-based obligations such as payroll tax. As some would be aware, once a company's salary and wages bill exceeds a certain threshold, payroll tax is due at a state-by-state -state level. In determining the salary and wages captured for payroll tax purposes, contractors are also captured where there is a relevant contract. A relevant contract is an arrangement under which a person, in the course of carrying on a business, supplies services to another person for or in relation to the performance of work. What is important to note is that there are a range of exemptions. In some states, certain services are exempt, such as owner drivers and door-to-door -door sellers. However, there are also other exemptions, including the 90-day, 180-day, engaging others, services ancillary to goods, services not ordinarily required, and the exemption for contractors ordinarily rendering services to the general public. A careful analysis is required to ensure these exemptions are understood and the particular criteria is met. It's important to note that whilst payroll tax is largely harmonised, each state does have their own rules on contractors. Generally, all states include contractors in the wider definition of wages for payroll tax purposes, except Western Australia, which only includes common law employees. Also, whilst Australia's Capital Territory, ACT, operates under the broader definition of contractors like other states and territories, ACT does not include all the exemptions above, and therefore there are much less exemptions to try and come under within ACT to get a contractor out of payroll tax. Now I'll also just touch base on the other main state-based obligation, being work cover. So work cover is an important element to consider when it comes to contractors. 
Contractor payments may need to be added into total wages for work cover purposes. And again, whilst work cover is generally harmonised, it is important to note that there are different rules. Some jurisdictions adopt the common law definition of employer and employee, and others have a wider definition. For example, in Victoria, it also includes an individual who will be personally performing at least 80% of the overall contract work. It is mainly for the supply of labour, and those amounts payable by the company will be at least 80% of the overall gross income earned by that contractor. Finally, to wrap up, um, Christy, have you seen an increase in audit activity? And if so, is there anything specific jurisdictions are focusing on? Well, yes, globally, we are certainly seeing an increase in audit activity by tax authorities, including in Australia, both at a federal and local state level. This is prevalent for a number of reasons. There is increased focus on tax authorities to increase tax revenues. There is also increased access to data and use of more advanced technology by tax authorities. There is also a recognition by tax authorities that the regulatory environment is becoming more complex and the war for talent is intensifying and therefore companies are offering various kinds of benefits to recruit and retain talent. And continued digitization and integration of payroll data by tax authorities whose attention may have been diverted elsewhere during COVID. Accordingly, there is certainly no slowdown in audit activities. Particular focus is expected on contractors, employment status, and COVID-related incentives provided to employees. So really quickly and in closing, what are the top two things that employers should do to mitigate risks associated with contractors? Firstly, with the relevant decisions we've discussed, we strongly recommend that employers should review independent contractor agreements to ensure that they are tightly framed, are well-drafted, and ensure that the terms of those written contracts reflect their actual intended working relationship. Secondly, employers should ensure they consider the extended definitions of employee for superannuation, payroll tax, and work cover purposes. Thanks so much, Christy, for all your insights. To all our listeners, we hope you have enjoyed listening to our conversation as it relates to contractors in Australia. We will be talking to other experts in respect to contingent workers in other parts of the world, So keep an eye out for future episodes. On The Move will tackle other topics in the world of global mobility that can help you better understand and anticipate the challenges and opportunities that come with operating a global workforce. Thanks again for listening and please feel free to reach out to us if you have any questions. Have a great day. Thank you for listening to On The Move, the global mobility podcast brought to you by Vialto Partners. For more information, please visit us at www.vialto.com. Vialto Partners and Vialto refers to the subsidiaries of CD&R, Galaxy UK Opco Limited, as well as the other members of the Vialto Partners Global Network. The information contained in this podcast is for general guidance on matters of interest only. Vialto is not responsible for any errors or omissions or for the results obtained from use of this information.